Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fired Up, the podcast for marketers working in early and late stage startups. I'm Morgan McClintic, the CEO of startup marketing agency Firebrand. We've launched this podcast to interview the best in the business, but I'm not going to do it alone. So please meet my co-hosts. I'm Nicole Pytel, Firebrand's VP of Content Marketing. And I'm Chris Ulbricht, Firebrand's Head of Media Relations. I'm Ian Lipner, a tech PR and crisis communications veteran. We'll drop a new episode each week, and so there's plenty of fuel for your marketing fire. Get the spark you need to take your startup to a whole new level. Hello and welcome to Fired Up, the startup marketing podcast where we explore trends and provide tips about building brand and driving demand for your startup. My name is Morgan McClintic and I'm joined today by Nicole Pytel. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Morgan. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Good to see you. Good to see you. So what are we going to talk about today? So today we have a very exciting guest. We have Rick Robinson, who I personally like to refer to as the godfather of out-of-home advertising. I don't know if that's his official title, but super excited to talk to him because it's not something that startups think of a lot, but there's a lot of opportunity there. We're going to dig into all of that with Rick. Right. So let's, for those that don't know him, let me just introduce Rick. So he's the CEO of PJX Media, and they're an independent out-of-home media agency. And their real thing is making sure that the brand's message lives in the merger of content and contexts so that the public get a reward for giving them their attention. And they work with a ton of tech brands, companies like Cockroach Labs, Git Labs, Sentinel One, Guideline. And their whole thing is they combine knowing where to put ads with some custom software with their creative to sort of implement campaigns. So we're thrilled to have you on the show today, Rick. Welcome aboard. Thank you very much. Thank you, Morgan. Thank you, Nicole. Hello to everybody out there. So I want to start with something topical today, and because you'd be a great person to explain that. We've been seeing these CGI ads recently, uh, mainly on social, so a, a giant Barbie coming out of a box, or they could be these purses driving around mm-hmm. the streets of Paris. I think there's one for Maybelline, which is sort of like an eyelash on the top of a London double-decker bus or in the tube. It seems to be a bit of a trend yep. in uh, out of home. What's that all about? I think it falls under fake it till you make it, right? Brands love out of home. People love out of home. Everyone loves creative thinking and fresh ideas and and they want to see them. And so what's happened in some cases, short of actually executing it in the real world, some brands have executed it with CGI or some level of graphic tools and then push that out on their social or somewhere on B-roll somewhere. And, you know, it fools people. For a moment, you're like, did that really happen? Could that have happened? How did they do that? And experts in the business will chime in and say, no, that didn't happen. You can never get approval, et cetera, et cetera. Some people have gotten a little fussy over it. My view, it's great for the out-of-home business. It shows a desire to want to put forward unique and engaging messages in the public space, creating some theater on the street. So I'm all for it. I think the interesting outcome is that the more this happens, more value will be given to doing it for real. It's like, oh, yeah, that's cool, but that wasn't real. Come to me when you've done it for real. I think it's a good thing for the medium and for advertising marketing in general. But it's not really out of home. Would you classify it as out of home? It's just, or is it just really content? And is it, is it, is it really classic out of home? 
Uh, I, I guess you could classify it as content officially, uh, out of home like. I think those distinctions really only matter if they're trying to enter it for an award show. All right, then then you'd have to call it out. But what I see happening here is a new category for award shows called fake out of home because it's there's a legitimacy to it in a way because it creates interest, it creates conversation. It is an unexpected outcome of it speaks to how out of home is amplified in social media. And that is a thing. Take a picture of something cool you saw on the street, putting it on your social. And this is what this feeds into. So it should be a new category. A new category it can. There you go. Fake out of home. There you go. Write it down. So does something like this maybe give people bigger and better ideas for real out of home? You know, they see the eyelashes on the subway car or the the purses rolling down the road. Does it kind of broaden what the medium is? Because most people think it's a billboard or, you know, a, a sign at a bus station. Does it kind of bring a new level of creativity to out of home? It it speaks to what's possible. I think it inspires is what it does. Like, hey, maybe that could be done. How could we do that? If not that, what else can we do? And it's a reminder of really the unlimited palette of the out-of-home medium. So actually, that's a great point. I mean, when we talk about out-of-home, the name gets banded around a lot. What does that typically involve? Just set the scene for us a little bit. Sure. So in the broadest sense, I've always thought of out of home, the clinical definition would be where brands visually intercept the public when they're out of the house. But then that can include all kinds of things. It can include on-premise store signage. It can include event signage, things that aren't typically in the out of home toolkit. You know, more traditionally, what what is out of home, quote unquote, out of home are billboards, things you see on transit, public intercept places like train stations and malls and airports, arena, stadium, giant manifestations on walls and buildings. What I like to call attitude out of home, which is like wild posting and stickers and street level things that are opt in, ethereal, temporary. But all of them fall under that moment where, I mean, look, look at it this way. Humans are visual. We remember most of what we see versus what we hear. Humans are social. We go out of our house. Brands want to reach humans. Therefore, out of home exists. There's the model. So you always talk about the people space. If if anyone talks to you or follows you on social, there's going to be a lot of talk about the people space. Why does out of home resonate with people so much as opposed to, I mean, there's a lot of creative ads out there, but what is it about out of home that really gets people to take notice and talk about it and and share it on social? You know, there's something magical in that public, tactile, visceral, concurrent moment where through serendipity, you discover out of home as you're out of the house. Like you don't wake up in the morning with your list of things to do. And one of them says consume out of home media. You find it unexpectedly throughout your day. And interestingly, someone said to me once recently that all other media is kind of in the way. It interrupts, it stops, it ruins the flow. Out of home is a way in. It's polite. It's chill. It's there. You can look or not look. It's in the public domain. It's like sculpture in a park in a way. And if it's targeted and and if there's this merger of content and context and creativity and moment and place when that all comes together and people feel like it's added to their experience their moment 
then they love it. And there's just something about a great billboard that people love. Whether it delivers intrigue or humor or some level of discovery. They like it. They want to show their friends. They'll talk about it. You know, it's interesting when you talk to people. When, I've been in the, the, quote, billboard business, out of home business my whole career. When I tell anyone, my doctor, anyone, hey, I'm in the billboard business, they all have a story. You know, I remember there was a board I saw somewhere recently, blah, blah, blah. They never say that about an online ad. So there's just this physical thing that happens when we see it concurrently. It's it's a one-to-many medium, but it's intimate one-on-one. Love that. I think that's why Out of Home has that gravitas that, that you really can't find anywhere else. Love that. Love that. So we talk about the people space. Some people think, you know, maybe this is the big people space. This is only where the, the big guys get to play, the big budgets, you know, the big departments, the big companies. But how can startups take advantage of Out of Home? Well, you know, it's about being surgical, right? You don't need to be Apple spending $200 million a year and out of home to make a difference. Some of the brands we just noted that we work with and others work with spend less than seven figures. And we've had brands start out spending 50000 or $20,000. So you can get into it for a relatively low amount of money. What you've got to do is think of it very precisely. Exactly where do I want to be? Why and how can I be there? And then you can find ways to show up that are affordable. So I think it's accessible to all budgets. And even if you do it programmatically, it's more accessible. What you've got to do is narrow your scope. What am I trying to pull off here? Um, And that's just going through the ropes of planning. Right. To that point then on planning, like when should a startup think about, begin thinking about out of home and adding it into their mix of things that they should be doing? Do you tend to find like it comes at a certain level of funding? Hey, B round or C round or D round companies, like a certain employee headcount or a certain business model. Hey, you know, it B to C companies do it. So like when should they start adding this to the mix or when do you tend to find those kind of companies doing it? Sure, sure. So if we looked at patterns, you know, usually it's series B, C and beyond, but that's such a loose measurement. I would say more specifically, it's when they want to show up, when they want to have proof of life. And that could be for their employees. Hey, we exist and we've got this piece of out of home on a certain roadway because we're we're here. And this proves it to everybody. Because there's a a level of confidence and vulnerability that happens when you put a message out that's there 24-7 every day, day in, day out. You're saying, hey, I'm taking a stand. I mean it. This is my story. I'm sticking to it and I'm not backing off. There's something in that. We want to show up for your employees. You want to show up for your sales team. We have startups, you know, in the tech space that will want to do things in airports because they want certain C-levels, decision makers to see them and they want their salespeople to see it. Or maybe you want to show up in certain cities for your potential customers to see it. You can do customer-based targeting. We've had tech startups come to us and say, look, here's the top 10 customers we want to go get. Here's their headquarters. Here's where we think their people live and work. How can we show up there? So that would be my first question. Like, is there somewhere you want to show up? that you feel you need to prove your life, proof of life, that you exist, that you're for real? If the answer is yes to that, then I don't know if it really matters what level of funding you're at. You could be fresh out of the gate or deep into your funding and ready to go public and beyond. Right. I like that concept. So that's probably why the strategy behind some of these billboards along the 101, where there's not a campaign necessarily, it's a one-off billboard proof of life, a statement of intent. Absolutely. 
we're showing up and some of it's for recruiting. Absolutely. So, sometimes that's what it's for. You'll see that on the one-on-one. You'll see it in Austin. You'll see it in Boston and other tech markets. You'll see it all day long in Las Vegas around events or wherever there's tech events. So for somebody listening here today, they're like, this sounds great. This sounds like exactly what we need. Maybe it'll snag an investor's attention. Maybe it'll snag a potential customer's attention. Maybe it'll snag great employees. How do you make the business case for it, though? When you go up the chain of command, you go talk to your CEO and say, hey, I want to put a billboard on the 101. How do you make that business case, especially in a startup where every single penny counts? Well, look, at some point, especially if it's showing up for qualitative reasons, that's usually the CEO's call. And it's a gut level call. I think we need it. I feel we need it. This is a leadership decision and I'm making it. And and sometimes it's just that simple. In other cases, it's the experience of, let's say, the CRO. We need to support the sales team. We're going to do this. And how am I going to measure that? Well, I can look at things like anecdotal feedback. I can look at things and say, are my sales team members realizing more meetings? Are they getting more, you know, are their emails getting open more often? Do we, are we seeing some lift that's, that's in sync with this increased awareness? So you put up a campaign, let's say in 10 airports trying to reach decision makers in key markets and you've done all the research to be in the right markets and all those kinds of things. And you do that. You run it for 12 weeks and you can look at the time you were running and maybe the trailing 12 weeks and see if there was some corresponding increase in activity. And then it depends on what the messaging is. You know, again, we're talking like B2B tech here, so it's very specific. You're usually not going to use out of home for some kind of direct response mechanism, especially for B2B tech. So if that's a requirement that for every dollar we spend, we're getting new meetings exactly, and I I want to be able to precisely track that, then don't do out of home because that's not what it's going to do. Now, what it can do is support those kind of efforts. What it can do is put wind at the back of the brand. What it can do is create that conversation you're looking for. And at some point, there's trust in that. Right. So you're really looking when we're measuring this to sort of correlation, hey, we ran this program in this particular metro, and I'm trying to correlate something and up, you know, an acceleration of sales, more traffic to the site or something. I'm trying to do a correlation. There's, there's more meetings. That's how I'm, that's typically how startups are measuring the performance of out of home at the moment. Typically, a lot of it's anecdotal quite often. We saw it, our competitors saw it, we heard that, our big clients saw it. Think about what it says to a big client, that if they see you show up in the right places and the right moments in that big visceral way. Because remember what I said earlier, out of home is a statement of confidence. It's a statement of purpose. It's a commitment. And that means something to everybody, not just your employees and your internal team and your sales team and your prospects, but your customers look at that and say, oh, maybe I've made the right bet. So aside from being methodical and aside from saying, okay, you may not directly be able to to attribute closed one revenue to this today, what other tips would you give a startup who's thinking about dipping their toe into this for the very first time? Well, because this is going to sound biased, but get professional help. Use experts who understand the out-of-home space. There's over a million pieces of inventory in the U.S., There are 1,500 different suppliers, and it's a Rubik's Cube. There's also logistical uh, requirements of getting the creative done, getting it right, getting it printed, getting it shipped, getting it posted, tracking all of that. There's a strong desire on the startup side and the early phase side 
especially on the tech side, to do it yourself. And that can work. Call a couple billboard companies and say, hey, what do you have? And pick one out or go on a platform that lets you do that. What we find is that very quickly, as that do-it-yourself buyer gains a little more knowledge and understands the complexities of what's going on, they seek help. You wouldn't day trade if you weren't a day trader. Same thing happens. So that, that would be my advice. It's like, just do some research and get some input. Look at the do-it-yourself platform. Sure, absolutely. And talk to people like PGX Media who know what they're doing too. And, and gain that knowledge first before you just jump. And are we, I mean, I, so we're going to go to an agency to bring them on, on board to help us with the media buying there, because obviously there's a lot of inventory and formats and, you know, you get to make sure you're reaching your target audience. Are they also having a company like yours? Are they coming to you for the creative? Do they d develop the creative in-house? How does that, like, is there another firm that does the creative and then there's a different media buying firm? Talk to us about that. All of the above. <laughs> Every way you've described. So typically a startup is not going to have a big creative agency on retainer or even a small one. So that's not going to be there. They'll have in-house support of some kind. Mm -hmm. It could be a graphic designer, as fundamental as that. They'll likely have some level of key art or visual direction mm -hmm. they've gone in. And so we we can help with the basic fundamental approach. If they want more concept development, we will refer them to somebody. So there's resources there to help them get this message up, especially if it's a straightforward branding message that's fairly fundamental and literal. You know, they're not trying to go in and be excessively intriguing or humorous or tricky. I would advise against that as a tech startup because usually that misfires. It becomes too much of an inside gag and no one really understands what it meant. So I, I think it's better to be big, bold, straightforward. What is it? What does it do? Right. Using it for like the strap line or the category creation or posing some kind of challenge with the logo just to kind of, you know, people can quickly grasp and just get aware of the brand. Yeah. Don't, don't make them do work because here's the thing to remember is that a lot of startup brands, all of them by definition, have very little street equity. The logo isn't well known. The brand name isn't well known. They're, they're, you don't just briefly glance at it and then quickly register what the heck it is. So you've got to keep it simple out of the gate. Very good advice. So what are some examples of maybe some startups or some up and coming companies, some, some new brands that have done a really good job? Are there some that come to mind where you're like, that one billboard just really stuck out with me? Or, oh man, I'd never heard of that brand before. And now I, I totally get who they are and, and what they stand for. It's interesting. Let's talk about that for a second, because I think I'm going to speak more broadly and not specifically about a certain brand. Because what I, what I see are a couple approaches. One of them is like an identity approach. And another one is usually around events. And I'll lean more into strategy. And that. So let me answer that. So for tech brands that have done a good job and out of home, I'll speak broadly to some different approaches. First approach I'll talk to is what I call the identity approach, which is, hey, this is us. We exist. This is where we're at, who we are, what we're about. And typically there, when it's done well, they follow just the fundamentals of, of strong out-of-home design. Two or three key elements, high contrast, one idea, and a sustained investment. Not just a couple weeks or four weeks, but 12, 16, 20 weeks. Give it some time and approach it as like an investor or citizen of the space for a period of time. 
that usually pays off. Uh, the other approach I see is very event-related. So ad tech events, that's where out-of-home is used quite often. And that's where you can start to have a lot of fun. Each market is different. So the out-of-home landscape is very, very different in every market. Some of them have a bunch of out-of-home all around the venue. Others have much less. There's the opportunity at the airports, between the airport and the venue, at the hotels. Where is all the nightlife happening? When I see a deep mix of multiple touch points targeted is when I see it work well. So maybe that big landmark moment leaving the airport, something around the venue. They've done a deal with the venue, so they're inside the venue. There's something at street level outside. Maybe they're wrapping vehicles and doing VIP rides for free. They've coordinated with their sales team. Maybe they have a build-out that's standalone and a footprint in a city center that's nearby. They're showing up with frequency, and they feel big for that moment, thoughtful. They've clearly planned in advance, gotten ahead of it, and secured a lot of spots. So those are the two main approaches I see and and when I feel they work well. So you say they, you know, you got to plan ahead, obviously. We've talked a little bit from the PR side, you know, an event like CES, something like that. It's not something you just dive into a month beforehand. So how early for these events would you need to get your plan up and running, get your spaces booked, that kind of thing? What's like the ideal timeline that a startup should follow? Ideally, you want a few months out. For a thing like CES, probably longer. If you really want to have the broadest view. Now, how often does that happen? Not often enough. Usually it's much shorter. Now, when it's shorter, there's still options. And with the abundance of digital out of home, that's, you know, condensed production timelines. You don't need to print or ship. Sometimes there's availability that comes up. So you should always check and always have someone who's advocating for you in that space, checking every day because things happen. Brands pull out. There's room that appears that maybe wasn't available a few weeks ago and now it's come available. There's always a lot of non-traditional options you can do at any time as well. Any of the wrap things or digital trucks or opt-in or temporary media, that can have a much shorter planning window. Yeah. And that seems to be where we're talking to the pros really comes into play. Because if you're trying to to DIY this in-house, you're you're not going to think of stuff like that, or you may not have the connections to make it happen. So it sounds like, you know, the pros are going to be able to say to you, okay, well, option A, it's too late for that, but here's a B, C, and a D that you can go with. And that's what you'll get. You'll get scenario planning, and then you'll be fully informed, decide which way you want to go with an investment. And then you'll have the chops to execute quickly which no matter what, if you're doing it in-house, they're distracted. Right. Absolutely. And what about, you've talked about advice that startups should think about, hey, commit to it for, if you're going to do it, commit to it for two or three months, really be active in it. So that's one thing. What about mistakes that you've seen brands make that they should avoid? For instance, we did some around events. You just talked about events. Often an event will have like a sort of a perimeter around it where they don't want advertisers to advertise it unless it's being controlled centrally through the event organizer and you can run into hot water there. What are some mistakes you've seen? You know, mistakes I've seen in general, not looking at everything, right? So kind of grabbing the first thing that comes along because there are levels. There's the big inventory that you can get in advance. There's the opportunities you can get at the last minute because you've kept looking. There's the opportunities you can get on site at events through the promoters and the event venue, which are usually separate. So that can create issue. 
I've also seen, and this is speaking to events again, you mentioned it, not following the rules. That can create a problem too. You know, if they don't want a branded wrap car and then you show up anyway and you have your brand ambassadors in there and they're trading passes and pushing the line, depends on how you want your brand represented. Most of the time, it's not going to have that much impact for the brand, but it could have a problem for your employees and the people you hire to help you there. And so I've seen that backfire and, you know, create negative outcomes. You know, I, I would say fundamentally, and this goes for all out of home, whether it's tech or consumer facing brands. When you go to out of home and you remember this, it's not about you. It's not about your brand. It's about the public that you're going to get in front of. So if you start there, it's about them, not us, and trying to understand empathetically what they're doing. Where's their head at? What are they about? Where they're going? What's their agenda? That'll lead you to the right kind of messaging. And then from an investment point of view, I've always offered that if you think more like a citizen of the space and an investor of the space, like with that mindset versus a tourist or a consumer, you're going to make different decisions. And those decisions will come through in terms of how you're represented in those moments, whether it's a big billboard on freeway or at an event or covering airports, or being in downtown part of a city, or whatever it might be, targeting prospects. It's just the mindset that will impact the quality of the execution. Well, perfect. And now, what about, um, just as we wrap this section, talk to us a little bit about some of the trends that you're seeing in out of home right now. We just talked about CGI, but what are the other things that you're you're seeing, whether it's in types of measurement or, or what have you? What are, what are you seeing today? What's happening in out of home that everyone's seeing, because we are a public medium that, you know, is, there's nowhere to hide, right? When it comes to out of home is much more digital. All right. So you're seeing new screens happening really everywhere. City centers, big screens, small screens. They're on top of rideshare cars in train stations. Actually, we just bought a campaign inside a rail car on the New York subway where typically it has paper. And they were now digital screens with video on it. So more and more screens. And so that's a very fascinating development and is creating a lot of unexpected outcomes. Now, the expected outcomes are speed and access and flexibility and triggered messaging, if-then scenarios, all of that. But it's also changing the relationship between people and cities and out-of-home messaging. Because what they're seeing now is usually a mix of commercial and non-commercial messaging. So there's more utility in what they're consuming from these screens. They see the screen as the source of more truth in many ways. The messaging is more immediate and current. It feels contemporary because it's on a screen, right? So there's something to be said for that. There's a bit of FOMO because it's changing. So I don't want to miss what's next. Right. And there's this uh, expectation that something important is going to happen. So that digital is a huge thing. The other trend I see happening is the changing relationship between the out-of-home companies, the media owners, and the cities and the private and public partnerships they're creating, which there's more revenue sharing, there's more non-commercial messaging. What this is doing is allowing for new inventory to get built, like the Sphere in Las Vegas. New digital screens on the Sunset Strip. Uh, the purpose of these screens, there's the TSX screen in Times Square that opens up and has a stage on it. So you're just seeing more digital, more use cases, changing relationship between people and the screens and what they expect. So that's what's happening from a hardware point of view. Now, adjacent to that is the rise of the value of printed out of home. 
because that's now becoming more distinct in its purpose, because that's saying, I have 100% share of voice, I own this, and I'm not going anywhere. It's interesting, Apple invests $200 million a year in out of home and never on a digital screen. That's ironic. <laughs> Very ironic. Shows the power of the printed message. And the poster has been around for millennia. And so, in any case, hand paints, printed posters, wild posters, that whole side of it uh, getting more and more play. And then, of course, audience measurement improving, attribution tools improving, just the speed and precision of the whole medium upgrading. Those are generally the trends I see. It's a lot. There's a, there's some great trends to look at and we definitely sort of see those. And so it's interesting that the digital side, because it's ephemeral, it's entertainment because we turn to screens for entertainment. And so people are looking for that, but it's also ephemeral. And that's actually increasing the value of the more traditional paper-based billboards for the permanency of that, even though that's not entertainment. Did I get that right? It's, it's so true. And you know how people's brains work. They want silver bullet answers or these absolute out, all or nothing outcomes. And well, digital is going to replace printed. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. You know, one of the most unexpected outcomes is how out of home has become this amplifier for social media. And I don't think we saw that coming. So we get a lot of brands that want to be seen. They want to show up so let's speak in the context of a B2B tech brand. They want to show up at an event with a piece out of home to be there, but they also want the picture that they can then share on their social and in their channels. It's kind of like why people do the fake out of home, right? It's sort of the same reason. So again, going to your proof of life, I've put up my billboard on the 101. Not everyone lives or goes up the 101. So I'm going to put it, I'm going to take a photo of it and share it on social. And we see it on the digital billboards, it's been up for like 30 seconds and they take a photo and then it's permanent on social. And that's really the deliverable, not the 30 seconds that it was on the digital screen in Times Square. It's this added thing that we didn't expect. It's an added outcome. Now, another thing that's happening in reverse this is more consumer-based, but I see this potentially happening everywhere, is that campaigns that are socially native that start on TikTok or, or wherever, they're now being extended into digital out of home real time. So it's on TikTok or it's on Instagram or wherever it is, and it's showing up in digital out of home in targeted places because there's evidence that says when I see it big and then I see it small on my phone, it's got more power. Oh, so out of homes become the influencer there almost. They're all, it's almost a social yes. influencer. It's fascinating. Again, it goes back to that shorter headline that I like to use proof of life, the legitimacy that comes from that. Nothing like the real thing. Right. Am I seeing signal on so, a brand testing signal and, and creative on TikTok and Instagram and sort of seeing if there's signal there and then leveling it up to? out of home because they can do it sort of quickly and digitally? Or are they planning this to be both run in, in parallel? How are they using that? It's finding its way right now. I think what's really happening is that all of these digital out of home screens, which are everywhere from the gym to the coffee shop to the elevator to Times Square, the subway, everywhere, all over our lives, especially in urban centers. I don't look at those anymore as the screens, plural. I look at it as the screen singular, because now through DSPs, you can access all of it immediately 
if you wanted to. It's actually the most powerful screen in our world. It reminds me of back in the 50s when there was a television in every home. Remember, there were three networks. And if you wanted to reach half of America, you just were on one TV show. Well, that's all fragmented and gone. It's not like that anymore at all. But you can, through digital out of home, reach everybody immediately if you want to. The brands just haven't figured that out yet. The evidence of this was last year about the war in Ukraine. There was a grassroots campaign where blue and yellow was on every single digital screen globally, showed the power of the medium overnight, whether broadly or targeted. Brilliant. So the aggregation of all those screens is sort of now creating one sort of surround way to mm -hmm. reach uh, everywhere. One big opportunity, and, and it's aggregation in the whole or aggregation in the precise. So maybe I just want to aggregate them up and down the 101 in south of Market San Francisco, right? Or I just want to aggregate everything within two miles of the Las Vegas Convention Center. So it, it can happen, you know, that can flex from a street corner to the world. Great. Thank you for that. I'd like to move on to our next section, which we like to call smart people, dumb questions. And I literally have a bag of dumb questions here. Right in front of right in front of me. Fire so I'm away. gonna pick pick I'm gonna try to be smart. <laughs> well, well you are happens. very smart, so I'm gonna pick one of these dumb <laughs> questions out at at random. Oh, what is your weirdest pet peeve? <laughs> I wasn't ready for that one. My weirdest pet peeve. Oh gosh, I don't know if it's weird. My weirdest pet peeve. I don't like it when people say no to anything. Like when they don't try. Mm-hmm. Or when there's this like immediate dogma, like, is that a pet peeve? I don't know. It just drives me nuts. I just start like losing my mind completely. Cause I figure you're here, you're functioning, you're breathing, you're standing upright. Most likely you're educated. Like try. That's a good. So that, that spirit of what if and say yes, um, when that's not there, it drives me nuts. See, that was a s smart people, smart yeah, answer I too. I know. I know. Good. <laughs> we're, we're trying. Here's our next one. What's your favorite superhero and why? This It isn't like a Marvel superhero. This is somebody, people who make me think and who came from a hard place. So I, I look at like Helen mm -hmm. Keller or Maya Angelou, people like that. Some sort of limitation. And like Helen Keller has a quote, this, life is a daring adventure or nothing. Like she said that. I have all my tools. There's like no room for me to whine now. Okay. She said it's a daring adventure. I've got to buy into that. <laughs> right? That's superhero to me. I agree. What's the most dangerous thing that you have ever done? <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to tell you that. That <laughs> <laughs> you can share <laughs> with everyone. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> I, I, I think the thing that scares me the most is hubris. That's for sure. Uh, whenever I feel that coming, and I'm certainly not immune from it, that that frightens me. Uh, there have been several times in my career where I've done the thing everyone's told me not to do. Now, was that dangerous? I don't know. I mean, I can remember once I was a sales guy at a billboard company, and I was up for the big sales job, and you know, it was a lot of money at that time. And I said no, and I took a job in the creative department, which was like half the money. And I was told that I was ruining my career. And that wasn't the case. Well, seems to have worked out. Seems to have worked out. So it worked far. out okay for you. Yeah, it's funny. So thank you for those. Our next section is called Fired Up Five. And Nicole, why don't you, well, we're going to ask you some rapid fire questions. Fire away. I'll try to and, be quick. And, you know, short answers. And Nicole's going to lead us through that. 
I love how he keeps saying fire away. Just it, it fits with the theme. So, so well, um, so fired <laughs> yeah. up five. So we've got the questions. You give us one or two sentences. First off, what would you do if you weren't in out of home advertising? I would probably be a preacher or a politician. That's a wide spectrum right there. <laughs> <laughs> but the, something in the public eye where I was trying to influence others. No doubt about it. What's the best career advice you were ever given? Oh, man, in varying ways, just to trust yourself. And the other one is to say yes a lot. What's the tool you cannot do your job without? My own mind, my willingness. I think you find your way around the other tools, right? Take away the internet. I'll send smoke signals, right? I'll come over to your house and knock on the door. But I think the strongest tool is how your synapses fire and connect things in new ways. Like the thing I would, I would never want to lose is my passion. That's what I value the most is that I get excited about things. I'm thrilled that I was blessed with that. What hot trend have you got your eye on right now? I don't know. I don't know what hot trends are. I think the thing I'm most curious about is how we're going to figure out how to work together going forward. We were in offices, then we weren't in offices, and now we're sort of faking it, trying to maybe be in offices sort of sometimes. Certainly, we love the flexibility of doing what we're doing on these video calls, but we lose a lot of that human touch along the way. How do we learn how to collaborate? Like that, the answer to that question is exciting to me because, you know, you think about all this commercial real estate and downtown centers. Is that going to become residential? Will you have it where a building has residents and a movie theater and a grocery store and five levels of WeWork in the middle of it? I don't know. But th that has my eye. And the other thing that that's on my mind is how are we going to find our nuance again? As a public, we're so polarized Politically, social media doesn't help it. We just lost our nuance. So all or nothing, which is all or nothing thinking is the sign of a very oversimplified mind. And uh, so I'd love to see her get our nuance back and, and figure out how the heck we're going to work together. So speaking of work together, some of us are working with the robots these days. So AI, is it overhyped or underused? I don't know yet. It seems more legit than the metaverse. So a year and a half ago, that's all we were talking about. And that, you know, that was a party that no one's really showed up to yet. I think AI has a lot of uses and we don't know what they are. Um, I'm excited about it. It's interesting when CDs came out and all the technology came out and all the zeros and ones took over. We had this pushback of vinyl and craft food and farm to market and everything's handmade. So my expectation is, is that we'll find a place for AI in the short term that's going to be very helpful and functional. Yeah, I'm using it today to help me write some things, but it doesn't write it for me. It tees it up. And we can kind of smell AI writing already, right? If somebody just goes on BARD, you can sniff that content out pretty quick. So I'm, uh, I don't think you're putting the genie back in the bottle. I can tell you that for sure. I'm more excited about what's happening with it now and how we're going to use it as a tool, as another arrow in our quiver, than I am worried about it in the future taking over the world in some sort of postmodern apocalyptic dead zone. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Rick, I really appreciated your sort of can-do, optimistic, make-it-happen approach. And how can people reach out to you if they want to get in touch? It's very easy. Rick at pjxmedia.com. That's Papa Juliet X-Ray, pjxmedia.com, Rick at pjxmedia.com, or hello at pjxmedia.com. 
I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation together. Thank you for all those questions. Now I'm going to be thinking about that. What trends and pet peeves? What I know I have other pet peeves. <laughs> I, I had a much better answer somewhere in there. I'll think of it tonight and I'll call you back. Yeah, be sure to give us a call. Wonderful. Rick Robinson, CEO of PJX Media, the out of home specialists. Thank you very much for being on Fired Up. It's been great to talk to you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for Thank your time. You. Yeah, Take thanks, care. Rick. Well, that about wraps it up for today. But before we close, we did want to offer all of our Fired Up friends a chance to grab a mega pack of all of our ebooks and guides. That's our guide to content marketing. That's our startup guide to paid media using Google Ads. It's our guide to attribution. You can get all of those over 100 pages of goodness at firebrand.marketing forward slash fired up freebies. That's freebies with an S. And we hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts or drop us a note at firebrand.marketing. And as ever, the details of how to get in touch with our guest today can be found in the show notes. Thank you for listening. And until next week, get out there and crush your marketing goals.